Welcome to another impactful message from Cornerstone Church, where we truly believe there is one hope for every heart, Jesus Christ. If you'd like to check out more resources or view video of this sermon, visit us online at cornerstonerome.com. Okay, we got some questions to answer. We're studying the book of Amos, and there's some mysteries in the book of Amos, and really they're simpler mysteries than in Ezekiel and some of the other. Some of those things in Ezekiel are just weird. And uh, in, in Amos, we have several mysteries to resolve. One is Amos himself. Second are word pictures. He talked to him about locusts and fire, and then he also talked to him about the plumb line. Ever know, know what that is? We can tell whether this pulpit's sitting straight. We could actually check the walls of the building. It's a, a building tool, so in... Uh, Amos's message, there's a, a plumb line. And then there's a ripe bowl of fruit. What does all that mean? Well, it's interesting that he's two-thirds of the way through the book, through his message, before Amos even introduces himself. Uh, he doesn't introduce himself till chapter 7, verses 14 and 15. He says, I was neither a prophet nor a prophet's son, but I was a shepherd, and I also took care of sycamore fig trees. But the Lord took me from tending the flock and said to me, go and prophesy to my people Israel. So this is a very unlikely situation. I tried to think of a good parallel, and here's the parallel. This is like the pastor of First Baptist Church of Talking Rock saying, God has called me to address the Southern Baptist Convention. (laughs) How many of you believe that's going to happen? And so here shows up this farmer, some people say cowboy, uh, he's called a shepherd and a fig plucker in uh, in the book. And he has no credibility whatsoever. He's got no creds. He's got no clout. He doesn't have any kind of resume. And he gets the same reaction that you'd think that pastor from Talking Rock would get if he contacted the convention and said, I've been called by God to speak to the convention. They'd say, who are you? And then they'd put the phone on and say, we got some nut from Talking Rock, Georgia, that says he has a message from God. You know what their response would be? Humor him. I mean, you've obviously got a nutcase on your hands. And so here Amos comes. Amos is from the village of Tekoa. And Tekoa was uh, literally on the edge of nowhere. There were no villages beyond Tekoa. And it was perched on the edge of a harsh wilderness. And so God calls this country boy to speak to the more metropolitan people of northern Israel. And Amos, is, as he's introducing himself here, he's introducing himself to a fellow named Amaziah. Now, Amaziah is totally opposite. I mean, this is, uh, this is Andy Stanley. This is somebody that's got some, some credibility, got some clout, got some power. Uh, and... So he speaks to Amaziah, and Amaziah tells him, why don't you just uh, go on home, back where you came from, and, and don't be prophesying here in Bethel anymore. Bethel, that's, this, is, this is God's town, and I'm God's man. I've got this covered. And last thing we need is a message from you, cowboy. And so the two men are a stark contrast with one another. One's an established religious leader with a following and a position and a title, and strong political uh, connections, that's Amaziah. He's got clout. 
But Amos was a nobody from nowhere. So here's the first mystery we have to resolve. And, and the question you need to ask each other, why Amos? Why Amos? There's, there's a purpose behind this. None of these things in, in uh, prophecy happen by accident. Amos is chosen for a reason, for a purpose. So we have to figure out, why Amos? We'll, we'll get to that a little later. Now, let's examine the message that God gave to Amos. Amos 5, 18 through 27. I'm not going to read that, but there are two major theme words in God's message to his people through Amos. And they're righteousness and justice. They wanted to talk about worship. They wanted to talk about the buildings they had built. They wanted to talk about sacrifice and the number of sacrifices that they were making. And God says, no, 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 I don't want all that outward stuff. That's not what I'm interested in. I want to talk to you about righteousness and justice. Righteousness is about your personal integrity. Justice is about the way that you treat other people. And he said, you think you're pleasing God with your worship at Jerusalem and your worship at Dan and Bethel? They had set up, uh, they had worship at Jerusalem and they, they were afraid that the people would go to Bethel. So they set one up there too. And, and. So Amos establishes a theme, and there's a theme verse that many people are familiar with. But let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. So there's the, he says, what you've got is you've got just enough righteousness to feel good about yourself, just enough justice that you don't feel condemned, and it's just a trickle. It's just barely a trickle. And what God really wants from his people is to have righteousness and justice roll on like a river, like a a gushing flow. And then in chapter 6, 1 through 14, he has some more uh, specific charges. Uh, Number one, he says, you're complacent. You got your building, you got your temple, you got your worship, you do the Sabbath, you pay the tithes. Hey, we're good. You're complacent. Verse 6, he says, you don't grieve over the ruin of Joseph. And in the Hebrew, as they figured that up, it would be, you don't, you don't grieve over the lack of genuine worship. You ever see a church get into a church fight over music? You know, God has seen it over and over again. I don't like that music. Well, that's not really the question, is it? Well, we want this music to be contemporary so we can reach the people, young people out there. That's not the issue either. The issue is what is God like? And God likes music that comes from the heart. He likes whole singers. I, th- I, think, I've, I think I've got a theme uh, going here. He says, I abhor the pride of Jacob. The very things that you glory in, that you think are your greatest accomplishments, I abhor. No wonder Amos waited to introduce himself. I mean, he's he's waiting to see whether he's going to get run out of town before he identifies himself. Verse 12, he says, you have turned justice into poison and the fruit of righteousness into bitterness. We we did a series several years ago called it Sacred Roots, and it was the same thing. It was a a book of the Bible every week. And 
We ended up in great conviction before it was over because there's three things that come up in every Old Testament book. Widows and orphans, immigrants. What was the third one? I lost one. Pardon? The poor. Yeah, sorry about that. Uh, The poor, widows and orphans and immigrants. The, The trinity of the Old Testament. And God just expresses it over and over again. And when he's upset with Israel, he's telling them, look, you're missing my heart because my heart is for the poor. My heart is for the immigrants. My heart is, is for the people who are usually looked down on by others. And, and in Amos' day, that's what was going on. There's always a way to excuse injustice. There's always a way to cloak uh, mistreatment in righteousness. The church historically in this country and other places has has been at the forefront of annihilation of people, enslavery of people, uh, mistreating people. It doesn't matter how we cloak it in religious uh, ritual and symbolism. God's heart is still that he abhors. He abhors the lack of justice and righteousness among his people. So here are the issues. They were measuring the situation according to their own comfort. Chapter 6, 4 through 7. You can look at this in your uh, hope sites this week. Have you been joining a hope site? We we have one that meets on Tuesday afternoon. We really enjoy that. Um, And this would be a good thing to dig into. So their their response to all of it was, well, look, God's still blessing us. Our economy's doing good. Our children are okay. Our crops are still coming in, you know, they're, they're not like they used to be, but they're not bad. Um, hey, we're good. And basically they're saying, hey, it's, it's, it's not perfect, but it's, but it's good enough for us. And Amos' Amos' issue was it's not good enough for God. They didn't want to hear that. They not only were not ashamed, they were actually proud of the situation. Mark Twain once said, uh, the human being is the only creature that God gave the ability to blush and the only one that needs to. So rather than measuring themselves by the righteousness of God, they compared themselves with others and became complacent. When we try to accommodate the world and we try to live within the culture the way the culture does, we lose our relevance. So number two, they had taken ownership of that which belonged to God. They were using their own measures to determine whether God was pleased with them, and then they had had taken ownership of that which belonged to God, chapter 7, verse 13. When leaders begin to say, my church, uh, we're in trouble. It's never our church. I followed through with one pastor that blew up a church and kind of ended up disciplined and went away, and he started another one. Same old pattern. Abusing people, claiming authority, he set it up so he doesn't have to answer to elders. Uh, it's still going on. They'd taken ownership of that which belonged to God. When the northern kingdom of Israel broke off from the southern kingdom, King Jeroboam of the northern kingdom was afraid that worshippers going to the temple at Jerusalem would turn against him, so he set up an alternate temple in Bethel. So he said, well, they've got a temple down there in Jerusalem. We're going to honor God by having a temple here in Bethel. Only problem with that is God didn't tell him to do that. Um, And then just to be relevant and culturally 
cutting edge and pagan friendly. They set up two golden statues. And how in the world you know, do these people always come back to the golden calf? It looks like at some point in history you'd figure out, you know, this is, that, that's bad. But somehow they, you know, they're trying to reach their culture. They're trying to please their culture. And so the golden calf is still a, a symbol of worship today. And so instead of going to meet God on his terms at Jerusalem, at the temple, which he had good reason for, they set up worship on their own terms. And going to Jerusalem to worship required them to adjust themselves and alter their lifestyle. And they weren't willing to forsake God completely, but they just adapted spirituality to their own comfort. They made it the way they liked it. Number three, God's solution. And this is where the pictures come in. Seven, chapter 7, uh, verses 1 through 6. says, this is, <clears throat> got too much stuff up here. This is what the sovereign Lord showed me, uh, that he was preparing, uh, he was preparing swarms of locusts after the king's share had been harvested and just as the second crop was coming in. And then he stripped the land and I cried out, sovereign Lord, forgive, how can Jacob survive? He's so small. So the Lord relented, this will not happen. This is what the Sovereign Lord showed me. The Sovereign Lord uh, was calling for judgment by fire. It dried up the great deep and devoured the land. I mean, fire so great that it uh, evaporated the ocean, evaporated water in the rivers and just dried it up. Uh, And so he cried out, Sovereign Lord, I beg you, uh, stop. How can Jacob survive? He's so small, so the Lord relented. This will not happen either. And then uh, he gives him another vision, and he says, Amos, what do you see? He says, a plumb line. The Lord said, look, I'm about to, I'm I'm setting a plumb line among my people Israel, and I will will spare them no more. The high places of Isaac will be destroyed, and the the sanctuaries of Israel will be ruined. And with my sword, I will use against the house of Jeroboam. So he's saying judgment is coming. And his final word picture there is the plumb line. So you have three choices. You have judgment by locusts, which is going to take even the gleanings. He said every little bit that's ever left from a harvest, these locusts are going to come in, they're going to just wipe it out. And if you've ever seen that, the devastation that locusts cause, it's, it's total. And they knew... When the locusts came, it was the judgment of God. It happened in Egypt. It happened at other times. And then you have fire. And fire is always a symbol of judgment. And you have fire that's so fierce that it sweeps through the land, dries up all the water, dries up the rivers, drives up the ocean. What's that going to do? It leaves you no place to go. Total devastation and destruction. Now, which one of these three is not like the others? Do you ever do that exercise in school? Which, which one is not like that? You have dog, cat, bird. Which one is not like the others? No, the cat. Dogs and birds are nice. <laughs> now, 
now that I've offended half of the audience. Uh, but we do that thing where one of these is not like the others. And so you say, fire, locusts, plumb line. Which one's not like the others? The plumb line. Now, I think we'll see as we go on that this is the one you want. And this is what God in his kindness and compassion uh, provided them. God's solution, uh, he said, uh, you, can, you can have locusts, you can have fire, punishment, consequences, the wrath of God, or you can have a plumb line. The third picture is God standing beside the wall that is Israel and lining up his plumb line and lining up alongside what they were building and saying, yeah, I know you're, you're building it. And you're saying you're building it for me, but it's crooked. You're saying it's, it's to honor me, but it doesn't honor me because it's not right. It's not square. I've bought a few of the, you know, you can build a house without a plumb line. You can build a house without a, a level. I've bought a few of those houses. Bought one years ago. I was a Queen Anne Victorian in, in Eugene, Oregon, and the kitchen floor sloped both directions from the middle. My kids played with their Hot Wheels. They just put it on the high point and they'd go by itself. <laughs> Nobody used a, a plumb line on that back wall of the house, and I figured out why. I found their plumb bob actually a hand carved, beautiful maple plumb bob that I was really proud of. The string had evaporated to dust because I found it in a stair tread on the way up to the attic. Somebody had lost it. Uh, and the whole thing was explained because in the same box with the plumb line was an empty whiskey bottle. <laughs> and so I can just imagine those drunks saying, oh, we don't need no plumb line, we don't need to, it, it's fine. And that's what they'd been doing in terms of their relationship with God. It's okay, it's enough, it's enough for us. Isn't that what we always do? You know, they, they play music I like. The pastor speaks in a way that I like. Well, wait a minute, wait a minute. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about God. And is he being represented well? And is he being honored? There's nothing comfortable about God's plumb line. It's easier to avoid than to face. But there's some things that go together. Peanut butter and... Yeah. Uh, love and marriage. Peaches and Steve and... Yeah, there you go. <laughs> and with God, what goes together? Justice and righteousness. He's saying, you've got to get this. These two invariably go together wherever God is concerned. And whenever you neglect justice and you neglect righteousness, you're neglecting God. And whenever you neglect justice and righteousness and those two don't go together in your practice of your faith, he says you're coming under the judgment of God. He can't accept it because it's just not right. And there's some things that don't go together. God's righteousness and human behavior. God's justice and human performance. God's heart and human arrogance and pride. Here's what God did. He said, I'm giving you a standard. I'm going to use a more modern-day version of the plumb bob, a level. 
Now imagine that this level is a chart. This end is zero. Here's 100 on our chart. And it's a righteousness meter. We're going to see how we line up. If we get down on this end, say at, at point five, how many points on a scale of zero to 100 in terms of righteousness would you give Hitler? Zero? Well, let's, let's give him something. I mean, he had a mother. and uh, So let's, let's say that we'll give Hitler five. That's the bottom of the righteousness meter. He barely did anything good in his life and don't even know for sure what it is, but we'll give him, maybe we'll give him two. And on the other end, when we talk about goodness and righteousness, who do you think of when you think of a really good person? Billy Graham? Where, where would you put Billy Graham on the 0 to 100 scale of, of righteousness? You don't say 100 because Billy, Billy would be offended by that. But, but what would you give him? Huh? Can't hear you. 98. Oh, okay. Close. Yeah, you'd probably still be offended. But 98. And uh, what about Mother Teresa? Where would, you know, we, we've read some things about her diaries and she had some doubts and she had some things she struggled with. But where would you put Mother Teresa on scale of zero to 100 in righteousness? 90. Okay. Here's the problem. The standard that God gave, the plumb line. This is a messianic prophecy. All of the prophets contained this word about the Messiah, and the picture in Jeremiah's prophecy is the level. God's going to give a level of righteousness to measure yourself by. The, uh, uh, the standard in Amos's book is the plumb line. Here's the problem. On a scale, righteousness scale, zero to 100, Jesus is a million. You see, if we could just measure by Billy Graham or Mother Teresa or uh, Hitler, or you could measure yourself against me, we'd all be good. We could figure it out somehow. We'd say, I'm not as good as, but I'm not as bad as. And, and God would say, no, no, no. Don't, don't give me that I'm as good as this person or I'm as good as that person or I pay my tithes or I do my duty in terms of sacrifices and offerings and religious festivals and so forth. He's saying, no, no, that's not my standard. My standard is my son. And, the, and so all of a sudden we start saying, wait a minute, the locusts and the fire and the plumb line do go together. Because the plumb line is a perfect expression of God's judgment. He says, don't tell me you don't know what justice looks like. What does justice look like? Don't tell me you don't know what righteousness looks like. What does righteousness look like? And what we should be saying is, who does justice look like? And who does righteousness look like? Jesus. Big controversy going on in the uh, Southern Baptist Convention. I'm picking on the Baptists today. Um, over the role of women. They're not going to ask me for, for any more than the other guy from Talking Rock. Um, <laughs> about what to do, but I know how to resolve that. You say, how did Jesus treat women? How did Jesus include them in his ministry? 
How come Jesus called, the first time he used the word ministry, it was in referring to women who are a part of his team? And you, you, you have to start with any doctrinal position you want to arrive at. You start here. What about Jesus? If we say, well, I can't figure out issues of justice and punishment and crime and all the rest of that. Where do I start with Jesus? Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. And he practiced forgiveness and grace so powerfully that it transformed people. The plumb line is God's mercy, but it's also God's judgment. Because in sending his own son in his perfection, God left us without excuse. We can't get the level out and say, well, I'm, I'm on the upper end. I mean, I'm somewhere between the 70s and 90 at least. And God says, doesn't matter. Because I've established a standard of righteousness and justice, and that standard of righteousness and justice is my son. And he is the perfect expression of righteousness and justice. And here's the two things that go together when we know the heart of God, justice and mercy. And he's saying, you're never going to find mercy until you accept justice and say, I'm a sinner. Whenever we use God's plumb line, we'll we'll come to the same conclusion. I need a savior. I can't do this by myself. I can't do this for myself. I have no alternative left to me. And what's amazing is that God takes the plumb line, puts it alongside our life, and says, you know what I've chosen to do? Because you honor my son, you've chosen to follow him. I'm going to see you according to his perfection. The righteousness of Christ is imputed to us. He puts on us a part of his own self by his spirit and puts his spirit within us and says, I'm going to help you line up with the justice of God. I'm going to help you line up with the righteousness of God. I'm going to help you line up with the person of Jesus Christ. I'm going to let you live your life as a follower, a disciple of Jesus Christ. And whenever you don't know what to do or you don't know what should happen next, whenever you don't know what position to take, just go to the plumb line and say, what did Jesus do? What would Jesus do in my situation? And so... What about the bowl of ripe fruit? We, we figured out what fire and locusts and plumb lines about. What's the ripe fruit about? What's the message of a bowl of ripe fruit? I'll give you mine. You, you, you don't have any, cho- any option about it, so use it or lose it. Isn't that true? Use it or lose it. It's right at that point. You're either going to eat it or it's going to rot. Either you're going to make jelly out of it or it's going to just turn to mush. And he's saying to Israel, you are at a ripe fruit moment. Your situation right now is a bowl of ripe fruit. Use it or lose it. In 1904, in a church service in Wales, a young man named Evan Roberts began to cry out, He disrupted the service. And he said, bend me. Bend me. 
He didn't prefer that God change him. He was in desperation for the hand of God. Bend me, God. Make me fit the plumb line. Straighten me out. Straighten us out. And what resulted was a revival that began in Wales and swept through Europe. And God heard Evan Roberts' prayer. And the sweeping revival went through Wales and on beyond. It was a far-reaching revival that so far-reaching that bars closed. There was no business. And police stations closed down. The police force had nothing to do, so they formed choirs and went out and sang. So literally, this is true. Uh, they, they, uh, the mines were shut down for a time because the donkeys wouldn't respond to the drivers because they quit using profanity. <laughs> and they trained the donkeys to respond to being cussed out. And it all began because one young man laid the plumb line of God alongside his life and said, God, bend me before I break. Bend me. It happened in the U.S. 1920. It's the Great Depression. People are jumping off of tall buildings. People on Wall Street are are giving up on life. And one man got permission to go to the Methodist Church and pray between 12 and 1 on Wednesday. And he put the word out on Wall Street that there was a prayer meeting at the Methodist Church at between 12 and 1 on Wednesday. And he anticipated being joined by people and praying and asking God to heal their land. And he got there and there was nobody there. So what did he do? He started praying. And he prayed for an hour. The next week there were three people there. Word got around and then there were 12 people there. It got to the point, literally, this is a part of our history, it got to the point that Wall Street was closed between 12 and 1 on Wednesdays. And God healed our land. Here we are, maybe at the end, maybe in the middle of a pandemic. And our nation has not, as a nation, officially cried out to God. I was reading Matthew this week, and what goes together in Matthew? Casting out demons and healing. Jesus went into these villages and towns and he cast out demons and healed all who were sick. It's obvious when you when you get alongside the plumb line, healing is available, hope is available, correction is there, but we just have to go to the right place to get it. We need to quit looking to our government and our government officials and to money. We need to say, God, heal us. But we can't say, God, heal us until we first say, God, bend us. Bend us to fit your righteousness. Bend us to fit your plumb line. The core issue is repentance. There are seven qualities of genuine repentance in 2 Corinthians 7, 9 through 11. I'm going to close with that. If you want to open your Bible to that, it would be great. 2 Corinthians 7, 9 through 11. Yet now I am happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. See what this godly sorrow has produced in you. And here they are, seven in a row. What earnestness, humility, 
Oh, we're getting to the other question. Why Amos? Why Amos? Because it would take humility for the people of God to listen to Amos. And the only ones God was interested in talking to were the people who were willing to humble themselves. And so he called a man from Tekoa. He called the farmer, the nobody from nowhere, and said, here's my message, take it or leave it. Here's my messenger, listen or don't. But I want people who are earnest. What eagerness to clear yourselves. Going to get this right. What indignation. I can't believe I did that. I'm so angry with myself. What alarm. What have I done? How's this going to affect the people around me? What alarm. What longing. Number five, longing. Uh, Just this, I wish I could go back. I wish I could get this right. I, I desire to be according to God's plumb line. What concern. And finally, what, re- what readiness to see justice done. I'm not trying to escape the consequences, but saying, bring it on, I deserve it. Justice. And he says, at every point you have proved yourself to be innocent in this matter. Here's the great good news. When we line up our life according to God's plumb line, And say, God, bend me, help me. He is gracious and kind and loving, and he will line us up. He will do it. It's not the hard work. It's not paying uh, restitution. It's not undoing the wrong that we've done. It's simply letting him have his way. It's called lordship. Simply letting Jesus be Lord. Every week in worship, God allows us exposure to his plumb line. And every time we take communion, every time we really examine ourselves, we have the opportunity either to make excuses or to make things right. And a gracious God is willing when we deserve locusts, when we deserve fire, he's he's, he's gracious to give us a plumb line and say, here's the solution. The solution is repentance. The solution is bending your life to fit my righteousness. We're going to conclude with that. So would would you stand with me? And let's pray together. Let's do as we uh, often do, and I'll pray a prayer, and you can repeat the phrases. It's an opportunity if, if you know your life is just totally out of whack, and not in line with God's righteousness whatsoever. Uh, it's, it's a time to just raise your hand and say, God, bend me. God, if you need to, break me. Whatever it takes to line me up with who you are. Whatever it takes to make my unrighteousness your righteousness. I want to be right with you. So let's pray together. Lord Jesus, bend me help me become like you please forgive me please give me your spirit and let me be your disciple I pray in your name amen we're going to conclude with the blessing from numbers I don't know if I can read that somebody else is going to have to do this Uh, 
Jody, bless us. I'm going to come up and say one thing, uh, Pastor Steve. Like, I think I've been around and I've heard a lot of great preachers in my life. And listen, I'd be honored if you spoke. If I heard you speak at a convention, a conference, or whatever else, you'd be right there with them. Okay, I'm serious. You. Give him a hand. Would y'all please give him a hand right there? And I'm not just saying that either. I mean it. I mean it. Uh, guy's got more wisdom in him. I, talk, I call him, some people are like talking Bibles. That would be him. If you get around him five minutes, he doesn't need notes. It just comes right out of him. And he's one of the wisest uh, pastors, ministers of the gospel that I know. So um, very, very wise man. Very blessed to have him in our house. You know what I'm saying? Um, very blessed. Very blessed. So thank you, Steve. So before we go, we want to speak this blessing over you. We do this every week. And uh, just right where you are as you're standing there, Maybe just taking a posture before the Lord. Uh, we just speak this blessing over you out of Numbers chapter 6 and verse 24. This goes like this. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. God bless you guys so much. We'll see you next week. You're dismissed. If today's message blessed you, we want to encourage you to take a moment and share this podcast with a friend. Remember, there's one hope for every heart, and that's Jesus. See you next time.